Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Fighting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. It's been a few years now since I wrote my Protocols Not Platforms paper describing how decentralization and pushing power and control to the ends of the network could create more elegant solutions to many of the problems that we see online today. Over the years, that paper has received plenty of attention, and I am now regularly contacted by people who claim to be working on projects to implement what I was talking about. Of course, when I look at the details of most of those projects, they seem, well, uh, either unlikely to succeed or really totally misunderstanding the point of that paper and sort of the value of decentralization and where it makes sense and where it might not make sense. Over the last few years, a rather large focus has been put on the concept of Web3, uh, which uses the terminology and ideas that seem to suggest a similar view of the world as my paper, but I've been somewhat hesitant, I would say, to embrace or support most of those projects for a variety of reasons. Um, for one, I think a lot of that space is filled with kind of nonsense and sometimes scams uh, and uh, with really little thought on how to deal with those issues. Uh, and I don't think that necessarily makes things better and in some cases certainly makes things worse. Second, many of those projects are simply recreating things that already exist, but often in a more annoying and difficult to use manner, which I don't think is necessarily the way to go about these things. Uh, you know, I've written in the past about the nature of kind of innovative revolutions where the first round of new things really does try to just recreate the old way of doing things using the new system or new platform or new media tools, whatever it might be. And it's only later after people people really internalize these ideas that they get to the stage where they can create the things that, that really couldn't have been done on the old systems. Uh, but to be honest, I haven't seen much in the Web3 world that I think actually gets to that point and gets past that first round of just recreating the old stuff. Um, and as I said, in this case, often with more annoying and difficult to use uh, ways. Uh, and finally, one of my other concerns with the Web3 world is that for all the talk of decentralization and, and crypto wallets and, and how they work, um, a lot of them really still seem fairly centralized. They're sort of decentralized components, but, you know, they're, they're really still sort of, you know, individual projects that could disappear entirely. Uh, and they're not really taking advantage of what the power of decentralization actually leads to. Uh, recently, there's an announcement uh, from a project called TBD, which comes out of Block, uh, the company that used to be Square. Uh, and it was announcing sort of a, uh, it's, it's as far as I can tell, its own attempt to, to sort of recreate uh, some of the concepts behind Web3, but to uh, disassociate itself from, from the Web3 world, calling it uh, Web5. This is the project from TBD, uh, which is sort of a, a part of Block. Uh, and I assume calling it Web5 is 
somewhat of a sarcastic mocking of the Web3 idea. Uh, and while the announcement of Web5 was met with, I would say, some mocking on its own, going through the documentation on it, uh, it suggested to me that it was really an example of a project thinking through all of the things that I talked about above and how could you build something that actually takes advantage of what decentralization is supposed to do and what I hoped it would do uh, and what I've written about what it, it should do. So today on the podcast, we have Mike Brock, who is leading the project for TBD um, to talk about this concept of Web5. Uh, and so you know, and we'll, I'll start out by just noting that I think a certain percentage of listeners to this podcast are probably skeptical of all of this. Uh, so let's start with the, the that first question, the big question, which is what problems does Web5 uh, actually solve that, that couldn't be done otherwise or couldn't be done really uh, with today's setup? Well, first of all, thank you for having me today, Mike. Um, it's sure. a pleasure to be here. Um, the big problem that we're trying to solve with web five, like the, the, the sort of the, the jumping off point, if you will, um, that has downstream implications for this whole concept of decentralization is the, is, is around the idea of owning your digital identity. So, um, you know, when you, I, I, I don't know how, how many people in your audience are, are sort of engineers and familiar with things like say like the cap theorem, right. It's, this is a, a concept in computer science that that really kind of deals with, you know, um, when you're developing sort of like, you know, highly scaled systems and decentralized systems, there's these like, there's basically the, it's the argument is, is there's essentially these sets of trade-offs that you have to make. Um, and mm -hmm. you can't really, and you can't really escape that. Um, I think like there's a similar thing going on with the ideas around um, decentralization that you see in this space called that people refer to as, as Web three. Um, I have my own thoughts on whether that's even real. Um, I think it's. A, I think. <laughs> I think it's a marketing term. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try and be as. Right. I'm gonna try and be as um, generous as as I can. Um, the. I think. At, I think fundamentally, um, there's like the, the the fatal conceit right today of the web, as it pertains to this idea of decentralization versus centralization is the fact that in order to have a relationship with a, a product or a service in the digital realm, you have to have some semblance of identity. That identity is like, it is, is usually in the form of something as simple as like an account at Google or at Facebook. Um, and then what happens is, is like that, that account becomes this sort of mechanism by which these platforms then try to attach all of these experiences to. We talk about like, you know, cross-selling and like, you know, and then distribution around that account model. Um, and it's been highly successful, actually. Um, you know, the, the whole sort of world around growth hacking in, in Silicon Valley has, mm -hmm. um, you know, fundamentally been this like incredibly successful thing that has captured our attention um, fundamentally changed how we think about interacting with um, each other and the world more broadly. And it has now introduced, I think, real problems that I think everybody on all sides of this conversation, like actually generally agree with. I think, I think if you were to sit down with the Ted Cruz and Elizabeth Warren 
Um, and I think you could make several statements around the, the problem that like both, both sides of the political conversation in the United States would agree with, right? Like one, that these platforms have become so large and so powerful that there's real like questions around the, the political and economic power that they yield and how detached that is from, you know, general, uh, accountability structures in our democracy, um, and there's there's also like other real worries that you know um, civil rights activists on on both sides of the spectrum once again what might think about right if, if if you're if you're concerned about the reach of the security state you should probably be a little bit worried and and we saw this with the leaks from the Snowden uh, you know uh, documents that these that these companies can essentially become tools of the security state extensions of the security state sometimes against their will, right? Like, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it like, you know, I, I want to, you know, I don't want to suggest that this is a simple story of like, you know, big evil companies. I mean, I mean, I, 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 at least one of the heartening, you know, parts of the story, right. That in, in the Snowden revelation is actually some of these companies actually fought pretty tooth and nail to resist a lot of uh, cooperating with the government. Right. Like Google, Google was quite upset about this when they found out that their data center lines were being tapped and, um, and, uh, right. and Yahoo was probably, Yahoo doesn't get enough credit, but they seem to be the ones who fought in court the most like, um, uh, you know, silently against, uh, against a lot of this stuff. So, right. so, um, I, I, I think, I think that, um, but, but I think that that exposes the, the, the real, the real danger here. Right. So I want to like, and, and so I want to just like set the stage here as we talk about this, that that this, the idea around Web3, this idea that like, you know, in order to have to maximize the possibility for, you know, a more a more positive future, we need to really start thinking about how do we change incentives um, in in the digital realm um, towards creating experiences and products that tend towards decentralization rather than centralization. And the general answer that people have had in this space up until now is this, what I would call tokenomics. Um, This idea of like trying to create a, a new stakeholder capitalism where people can obtain um, these tokenized assets that represent a stake in the platform, but also a currency by which to, interact with that platform um, and and like serve as not as both share of ownership, but also a currency by which to um, like pay the unit economics of, of using the platform. It's a, it's a really interesting idea. And like, um, and, and I would, you know, I would say that like someone like Balaji Srinivasan probably has the most interesting like take on this, but you know, underneath it all, I, 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 disagree with him quite strongly i think i think the i think the argument falls down in really like serious ways that we can get into um but i I wanted to like at least start this conversation by saying that you know i think the the idea of hey you know the internet has become too centralized there's real dangers with this it's bad for competition i i talked as as in addition to the stuff i just said um because obviously it's it you you when network effects become entrenched, it becomes harder and harder for upstarts to challenge the incumbents. So there's many there's many different reasons why 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 this is like quote unquote bad, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but but I but I but I do but I like like you I have extreme skepticism that what this sort of tokenomics slash web three approach to things can really work. I think it's broken because um, it it flies in the face of almost everything we know about consumer behavior. I think it it it, mm-hmm. fl- it flies in the face of you know everything we know about like you know. Uh, economies of scale, like basically, basi- mm-hmm. basically, like the, the tokenomics thing turns econ- economies of scale upside down, and basically says, like, no, like we should essentially like introduce like economic inefficiency through <laughs> through the distribution of information and data processing, which by definition must cost more because you're using more computers and more data storage and that data must be amortized and then paid for. So, so the unit economic costs of a decentralized system are, are, are by their very nature, almost certainly going to be higher of that of a centralized system. Like this is like, this is just kind of part of the, the, the weird tension that, that, that we, we can kind of get into this more, but um, I, I think, I think it, I think the, at least the approach that's happening with with Web three, and particularly the use of a block the blockchain as a storage mm-hmm. medium and a computation medium, um, worsens the the problem substantially. Right, um, and so my belief is that they this entire industry, this wet, quote unquote web three industry is walking towards a cliff. Like I, I think they're Selma, mm. uh, Thelma and Louise and they're in the car and uh, <laughs> their foot is on the accelerator. And, and I think the, the and I think that, that, I was going to say that, that at least implies that they know that they're heading towards the cliff. And I'm not sure I would agree with that part of it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're the Thelma and Louise with, with the blindfolds on. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go go ahead though. Yeah, so continue the analogy. So, so and I, and I think yeah, I mean, I think the ground is going to disappear um, from underneath the car because mm-hmm. I, I think it. I think there's fundamentally broken assumptions. You know, I, I what what I often say is is like, look, like if if you boil down, say the argument that say biology is making or Chris Dixon or any of the, the folks who mm-hmm. are sort of like in that space. And you take a very sort of philosophical, analytical approach and say, like, well, what, what, is, what are like the actual claims that they're really making here? When you peel back all the layers and you and you sort of just ask the why, 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 why question all the way to the bottom of the barrel, what I think you're going to find is that that the entire argument for Web three rests on the assumption that consumers or individuals, we, we try not to say consumers at, at at block, we try to use the word individual. Um, <laughs> think it's more humanizing um and and and, sure. and 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 i and i think that the uh the argument is is that individuals are fundamentally making values driven consumer choices that they come to mm-hmm. their decisions through the process of say like I want to use a platform that respects my free speech, or I want to use a platform that I know protects my privacy. I want to participate in a platform in which I have a stakeholder interest or have a say in which it's run and it's governed. And the argument that I hear the Web3 people making is they're essentially believing at a certain level that that's what consumer individuals are saying in their head and right. and they have an answer for that that is their product market fit thesis my response to that is like 
that's complete bullshit. Like I don't know any like I <laughs> I don't know anybody. Well, I do know people like that. I think I may be, I might be someone who might be like that. I mean, I I think I make a lot of right. but like but I'm weird. I'm very weird. Like I, I think I'm a very like like principled person, and I and I walk around in this world and recognize that, that most people are not. And um, like and and I use and I throw this out there and I say, well, if all, if if this is what individuals are sort of screaming from the rooftops for, then why is it that? people are showing up and signing up for TikTok in droves. Everyone knows that the Chinese right. government has inordinate control over TikTok. There was <laughs> extraordinary evidence during the Hong Kong protests that the Chinese government was engaged in censorship on the platform. You know, it, right. you know that 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 wasn't like concordant with, you know, the the central government in in Beijing's you know position on things. It's now been shown that like there's massive spying going on and TikTok is not a decentralized platform. So if if individuals are so taken by these values that the Web3 people are arguing is the pent up demand that will establish their product market thesis, then I think you have to explain that counterfactual. Why do individuals right. keep doing things that are so violative of these like moral precepts and my argument is, right. is because people aren't thinking about these things like like, <laughs> like 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 this is not actually the basis for a product market these the product market fit thesis and once right. you recognize that then all of a sudden you realize everything on top of this is just a big giant science experiment that has very <laughs> little like you know which which by the way i want to say that science experiment has provided i think valuable you know like innovations in the sense of things like i think right. like i think things like roll-ups and zero knowledge proofs mm-hmm. are like really interesting technologies um that i i see like real benefit for like particularly to the extent that i i i, I do believe in these technologies but like and that's interesting. And those are all like very interesting computer science problems that we can kind of say, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, but does it, does it fundamentally address the, the base assumptions there? And I would say no. Um, so, right. So, I, but, but this, Sorry, was a very, this was a very roundabout <laughs> way of, of answering your question about why web five. Um, right. Uh, and so the, the main, the, the, the main, theses that we're coming to here is saying, look, like you got to start with the assumption that individuals don't care about any of that because they don't. Right. So, so if, if, if your goal is to fundamentally build new incentives that will tend towards decentralization, you better approach it from the perspective one in a, in a technologically feasible way that is that like actually takes sort of the economic assumptions and unit economic assumptions, uh, economies of scale assumptions in like a really healthy way, like into account upfront, but also really focuses on the, on really trying to make sure that you can at least have consumer experience parity, if not better consumer experience. And I, and I can explain in the conversation why I think we can actually have better, better experiences, you know, by architecting apps like in this way, 
but like fundamental, and, and, and I think that all boils down to our attempt to rethink identity. And I think we can actually make our interaction with the digital realm quite a bit, bit quite a bit better than it is today. And also create more competitive and more interoperable services that ultimately can drive better consumer experiences. And I think that's the way like we're approaching it. We, we, we don't take for granted that people are going to show up and want to use Web5 just because individuals care about decentralization, censorship resistance, like, like stakeholder capitalism. This is, these are all just value statements that like, I don't believe the average person shares. And so we didn't start right. from those assumptions. Yeah, so I, I think that's that's a, a great. There's there's a lot of stuff there, and I'm sort of debating. I could dig in on a bunch of those things, but but let's let's take that as as kind of a jumping off point to to get to some of the examples because I think that I think this is a point that that a lot of people sort of struggle with, and 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 I agree with you, and I think that was actually a really useful description. That and, you know, one of the arguments that I've had with a lot of people. Um, is, you know, this idea of, you know, sort of exactly what you're saying, like, you know, with Web3, you're changing the incentive structure because people recognize there's a problem, but they, they haven't necessarily made the incentive structure better. And in some ways, it seems like they've made it worse. And a lot of that is this, these assumptions about human behavior. I mean, the one that you didn't mention that I hear all the time is this idea of like ownership, um, which I don't, I don't that, think that, that, that's what I, that's, actually, that, that's what I mean by stakeholder yeah. capitalism. I'm uh, that's, that's right, yeah, sure. so that, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, the, the fact is what I think we see, and this is at least my interpretation of it, what I think we see, and this is true of like TikTok and the fact that everybody does use Google and, and Facebook as, as their IDs and because it's just easier, is that like convenience seems to drive an awful lot of this. Um, and so, you know, one of the examples that, that you know, that you um, that you guys have talked about that I think is is an interesting example of ways in which actually a, a Web5 setup can be more convenient for people as opposed to less convenient is, and it, it seems like a simple example, but I think it's actually, it's one that's that's useful in getting people to think about the power here. And and amusingly, like I, I looked it up right before we started this recording, um, I wrote something about this uh, in 2011, and, and I, it, it may have been, it may have gone even further back, but I found the earliest version I found of this was in 2011, which was at a point when um, all of the big companies started introducing music services. Yeah. Right. So in the early days, you had Amazon and Google, and they were sort of music lockers. You mm -hmm. know, this was when people actually had MP3s. You know, many of them, you know, of questionable origin, uh, and you could sign up for one of these services and you had to upload all of your music to each one. Um, and I wrote this thing that was like, this is, this is not the promise of the web, right? This is not what we were supposed to have. What we were supposed to have in my mind for, you know, a, you know, what was then called web services world is this idea that I have a blob somewhere with all of my music and I can point you know, and, and sort of enable and say like, okay, Amazon, like if I want to use your interface, I can give you permission to, to reach, you know, the, the, the look at the music that I have and allow me to play it. And rather than each time a new service comes along where I have to, you know, either re-upload uh, all of my MP3s or in the more modern world, you know, reset up all of my uh, playlists and, and organize stuff, you know, where in, in all of those cases, we're, we're sort of creating these kind of data silos, right? So like 
Amazon has all, all of this data and they have control over it. Google has all this data and all this control over it. The world I want is one where I can just, you know, point these different services to the things that I have either, you know, the MP3s for or the licenses or permission in order to listen to and, you know, the playlist and the setup that I have and just say, I want to use this service but I don't have to do any of the setup and organizing for. And you guys actually have that. You know, I, I wrote that in, in 2011. And you guys actually talk about this as, as one of the examples of this idea of like a music service. You shouldn't have to, you know, the, the, the switching cost and the ability to go from one to another shouldn't be this complex process where just that one service owns all your data, but rather you control it and you sort of say, you know, this is me. This is this is the information I have about the music that I listen to, and I just want to be able to use your service to 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 make that work as sort of the the more front end aspect of it. Is that you know I found that to be kind of a, a useful example. Is is that one that you think of as as kind of an example of like that is to me that's a more convenient world uh, in which I can switch between these different services or find the one that I want without having to go through the the hassle, and I don't feel like I'm locked in to any of the the other services. Is is that you know, sort of a, a useful example of of how the Web five vision of this is different. Yeah, I, I, that's great. I mean, I think that's. I mean, we, we we use that example because we think it's easy for people to wrap their heads around. And right. and I think, and I think the important point here, like the the the, the high level point in in the example of like being able to sort of like have like own your your playlist. It's not about that. It's about this idea that the data that you create, the data that like you create data whenever you use a platform, mm-hmm. right? Like you and I are creating data right now. I don't know what this platform is at Riverside FM. Um and and, and we're <laughs> but we're creating data on it, right? Um and as we create that data on it, like like it, it, it seems intuitive to me that like we should think of ourselves as like owning that data, right? That, that, that we, that the, that a service is being provided, the service like obviously uses that data and applies that data towards providing like a useful ends, but like we should own that data. Like we, like, like I, 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 and I, and I think, and I think that that's like ultimately the, the real thing that we're trying to say is that, if you own your data and you also own your identity, it creates a different incentive structure for services to say, okay, I can give you an instant onboarding experience. I'll use this data that you have with your playlists and I will authenticate you immediately using like, like, you know, your, your, your self-sovereign identity. So you have that sort of one click onboarding experience that, that everyone always wants. And then be able to take that in and then immediately start providing you access to that music. I think that that would be a far more convenient world. And it would also be a world in which like, like our data is not, is not, increasingly being consolidated into fewer and fewer companies. Right. So, so th- that's interesting. This might be a semantic argument, but I, but I, I actually, I have, I have conceptual problems with the idea of, 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 of talking about ownership of data. Yeah. Um, and so, so, so let's explore that a little bit. Um, it's a fun, top, it's I, a fun I, I topic. Find, 
Um, I, I, and I hear that a lot. Um, and I, I understand the thinking of it and, and, and again, so I'm going to say this is potentially a semantic argument because I I think what is important is control over data rather than ownership of data. My, my fear, and, and let me explain why, why I think that, and then I'll let you respond to it. My fear with, with the idea of ownership of data is that that implies a certain level of rights. Um, you know, when you talk about ownership, then you're talking about property and then there's property rights. And then you get into all sorts of oddities, mm-hmm. especially around something that, that like data is, you know, it's information and it's ephemeral and, and every attempt that we've had to put ownership rights on information and data seems to go weird in, in often dangerous ways. And, and, you know, a lot of that, like, uh, I can, you know, the intellectual property world and, and copyright and patents. And I, I, you know, I think the way they're set up with this idea of sort of property rights over information often creates more problems than it solves. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I, I want to push back a little bit on this, the, 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 the word ownership. I personally, I, I, I like to use, the concept of control, I would like to have control over my data. And I, if, you know, if there's a setup in which I'm controlling the data and I can allow others to access to, to it, I'm not concerned about the ownership rights and the property rights associated with it, but rather, you know, who I'm allowing have access to it and for what reasons and, and, and having that transparency and knowledge and the ability to then cut somebody off. If I think that they're, you know, at, you know, putting my data at risk in some, some way or another. Um, and so, so, just tossing that out there and, and, and kind of, I'd like to hear your reaction to it. it. You know, how do you think of ownership in that context? Well, this may be a semantic argument. I mean, so, I mean, a semantic argument because I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I would, the, when I, I would say that the concept of property and ownership, like the definition of that is ultimately the right to control a thing um, legally and or morally and to mm-hmm. exclude others from its use. I mean, that is, that is, that, that's right. like philosophically what the definition of, of ownership is. Um, so I think, I, I, so, I, I, so, so I, yeah, so let me clarify, let me just one, one quick clarification. Cause, cause you're right. Right. I mean, that is the definition of, <laughs> of sort of property. Right? So, so it's like, yeah, did you just describe property? Rather than term and say, say it's not that. So, 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 so the one sort of clarification, clarifying point on that is that, you know, when I think when 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 people talk about property rights in general, it often involves a kind of scarcity argument. Okay, so so I, th- I think that's that's where where I'm sort of making a, a distinguishing argument where information is sort of by nature not uh, not scarce, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of this infinitely replicable concept, yeah. and and oftentimes you know when you're talking and and you know. We may be getting off topic, but I actually think it's kind of important. Um, you know, oftentimes, like when people talk about you know the various services online that are collecting data on you, it is often data that they are generating in in some sense. Like yes, in in combination with you, um, and so there is an element of like they should be able to make use of some of that data. It's a question of how how they're doing it and, and whether or not you understand what they're doing with it and how far that, that data goes. But what I worry about with the ownership concept is, is the, the attempts to add a sort of scarcity layer to it that I find generally problematic and often leads back to kind of, you know, in the end, at least a sort of su- suppression of speech or suppression of the ability to, to share ideas in some way or another. And again, like this is all just like 
you know, probably battle scars from, from copyright wars from, from 20 years ago that are just so deeply yeah. embedded in my brain that I'm, I'm worried about this idea of like, when you talk about it as ownership, the natural next step is to, to provide sort of legal property rights that say you have this sort of legal right to control and uh, the data. And, and then where that leads to eventually is all sorts of nonsense with, you know, lawyers jumping in and saying like, you misused my data. And, and, and like, I'm trying to tread carefully here because there are obviously some cases where like, you know, privacy violations, I think there should be legal rights to, to, to do, do things about. Um, but I worry about, you know, when it's too broadly, conceptualized as as property that you create this sort of artificial scarcity over it that then leads to other sort of downstream problems along the way does that does that clarify sort of the difference of what i'm talking about versus and and i want to be clear like i think you and i share from the sounds of it a lot of concerns over intellectual property uh laws um you know i i mean i i think the digital millennium copyright act is (laughs) <laughs> something that you know that I, I have like serious problems with like um right i was talking with a friend like recently around like something that i mean i think is like absolutely insane like um this is like probably the most like biggest first world problem but it happens all over the place right like <laughs> i mean like I, I don't know like the you know i don't know if people have heard about like how like ferrari has been like suing a lot of its owners like dead mouse and stuff like that yes. for like painting its cars and Yes. And, and like, and, and, and like it, it's, it's this, this, this concept of like, you know, property rights, like, 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 like kind of extending post sort of like transaction and sale through these like binding contractual agreements. And, and I think like these are, th- so I think, I think this is like, I think you have to kind of like take a step back here. And, and, and I think, sure. and, and I think, and I think like the, the, the problem is that there is no, clear line to be drawn here right i am a big believer that like we have to continuously like readjust our laws and our morality and our ethics for the technological and cultural context in which we live now the yep. the the main impetus between those copyright laws and intellectual property laws that you are criticizing was the protection of the movie industry the music industry and a whole bunch of you know, um, cultural uh, industries in the United States, as well as the software industry, um, to protect to protect their business models, essentially. Um, right. And it was at the expense of individuals and like their rights. And I like agree with you that there's this big philosophical debate around like there, it doesn't cost anything to copy a, uh, a sequence of bits. Um, and therefore, right. and therefore there is a zero marginal cost associated with the replication of those bits. Therefore, how can a, those sequence of bits cost, you know, have, have this sort of like, how can that sequence of bits duplicated co- cost twice as much? That makes no sense. Right. There's this like, so, so, but, so like, but I think there's something else that's going on here. Right. Like, and I think this is where, where it goes back to what I was talking about at the very beginning of this, which is that the power dynamics of our society, like how we choose our leaders, like how, like, you know, like how it is that like, you know, we get the information that we do, like our, our connection to each other is now mediated through 
this online ecosystem where the ownership of information actually does seem pretty important to, mm-hmm. I think, the maintenance of a free and democratic society in the medium to long term. And when you and when you look at this, and so like I I I am I probably am in a bit of an outlier here because I feel like most people in this space are like very very libertarian and are probably going to throw up a little bit in their in their mouths when they hear <laughs> what I'm about to say. But like I I don't think say that what the EU is doing with the GDPR is that crazy. Like I think we're living mm-hmm. in a world where there's real risks with these platforms being able to use artificial intelligence, machine learning, and, and and tools to potentially maybe start to learn more about us than we know about ourselves, to start thinking about predicting our behavior and then ultimately manipulating it. That is like a very, very scary rule, world. And I don't even think it's that like it, it's not that tinfoil hattie. It's already happening. There's an industry <laughs> called the advertising industry that's gotten very good at doing it. You know, I, yeah. I like people talk. You know, there's this whole thing going around around how like people talk about how you know Instagram ads, for example, always seem to be very apropos as to like what they were thinking about. Like you've had heard these like conspiracy theories of like is Instagram have like my microphone on my phone so they know what I'm talking about right. because the ads always seem completely relevant. Well, it's like no, it's like actually like what's really going on is that like your cognitive processes are like somewhat predictable based on other behaviors and patterns that you have like across your entire digital interactions. And and the advertising industry, because it's had so much impetus to sort of figure out human behavior, um, has really kind of been ahead of the curve on this. And it's it really should be alarming to us that that is a thing and 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 maybe it it maybe it's like actually fine like maybe maybe like if that was the extent of it it's like wow i get ads that are immediately relevant to what i want like that's not like inherently like a bad thing what's a bad thing is that like if you can do it with that can you do it with other things can you do it with uh people's like political beliefs can you do it with like right. you know their sense of of what is true and what is not um can these like and so you you have to really take into account the danger that is now on the table. And so I think right. for, I think kind of thinking, coming at this from the other side of this and not saying we need data property rights to protect, you know, the, the music industry from, you know, having MP3s uh, shared on Napster to, well, no, we need to have property rights for people's, for individual people's data vis-a-vis these these platforms in order to place a real limitation on their ability to take that data and use it in these ways that are asymmetrically dangerous to you know the the furtherance of a free and democratic society i think and i and i think this is something that like people really need to sit and think about for a little bit and this, this, yeah. this, this, this wouldn't have been a relevant issue in 1970. Like, I, I, I wouldn't be sitting, <laughs> I wouldn't be sitting here saying that we really need to like make sure that people own their own data. Like, like this, that, that wouldn't like, I, I would, I would be like, right? Why? Like, what are you talking about? Right. But like today, your data means something so different and so much more like prodigious and something that is like 
really, really like um, represents a form of power, political, economic, and cultural power that that has that humanity has never had before. Um, and and I think and I think it's and I think yeah, like I think when you put when you layer that onto it, I think yeah, you 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 might want to like think about like, I mean, I, I believe I like, I, I believe, I believe that like, look, property rights are ultimately like legal. Right? I'm not a natural rights theorist. I don't believe property rights like mm-hmm. emanate from some sort of like, you know, external reality, um, some metaphysical reality, <laughs> say like Murray Rothbard believes, but like, but like, I, you know, I, 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 I believe that like they're legal constructs and we've built these legal constructs because we recognize that without them, there's like other externalities that that would right. make life a pretty like shitty place to live. <laughs> and and I think that what, what's happening with people's data today in the digital realm now has crossed into a threshold where you need to where where I think like the risks potentially once again like justify governments and policymakers and and us individually demanding it to start thinking about like well well maybe there should be property rights on this stuff maybe we should be drawing some lines because we want to limit the amount of abuse that could that could potentially happen right so so i i think like i think we come at this from very similar perspectives and 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 sort of ideas where where i think where I think I have a, a slight difference and I'm a little like sort of thinking through this. I'm, I'm almost defending your project more than you are. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that like, I, I worry tremendously about, um, I, I agree with all of sort of the, the underlying points that you're making, but I worry tremendously about how that gets implemented at the policy level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think historically what we've seen is that when people try and put that into the law, um, without really understanding all of these sort of deeper layers, that it sort of messes things up and, and creates a lot of really dangerous consequences. And I'm not I'm not trying to present that as like the, the sort of purely libertarian take of like, well, you know, the government messes up everything, right? And regulations mess up everything. But but I do think that like, you know, what what we've seen and even like, you know, I, I don't want to get into a debate over the GDPR, but like, you know, there are all sorts of like, there have been all these yeah. unintended consequences of the GDPR that it's like, you know, in theory, could they have created and structured a more thoughtful approach to handling, you know, what, what I agree is a very real risk and a very real problem. You know, was this the best solution? I don't know. I don't think so. And I think, you know, there there's a, a fair amount of evidence now that the GDPR has done some good stuff, but lots of stuff that were was, you know, officially unintended or that created sort of, you know, these consequences that were very costly in some mm-hmm. ways. What excites me about approaches like what I think Web5 is trying to do is that it is it is a sort of technological approach to taking on these issues in a way that doesn't necessarily and correct me if I'm wrong but doesn't necessarily require policymakers to get to that step where they are then having to write the laws that say you know this is this is how ownership of data works 
because that that concerns me. And so, you know, kind of what excites me about projects like this is the idea that like if we can solve it, and 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 I should also clarify, like I'm not also I'm also not like a you know technological solutionist who says like oh solve everything with technology because I I don't think that works either. You know, I do think you need this sort of intersection of policy and technology and and all of these different things to, to actually work. Um, but like I find like if you can create compelling technology solutions to some of this stuff, you don't have to worry and you don't have to fight the the political policy battles over when they they get it wrong mm-hmm. and and when they sort of totally misunderstand the underlying issues, which you know is often the case with with politicians and technology and so you know part of what is exciting to me about this idea is the fact that like we don't need laws trying to define ownership of data if we can set it up so that it just sort of naturally flows to a system where people do have the control and the transparency into how their data is being used and the ability to say like, you know, I want to do this. If we make it more convenient and more useful to people and people will naturally flow towards that solution as opposed to waiting for the government to step in and say, you know, this is the way data structures must be done. This is what data protection is or data control is. Um, and so like, you know, part of my excitement about this is like, can we get ahead of that? And and maybe, maybe that then leads to, to policymakers getting involved, but I would prefer that they get involved at the step where we've already shown how the technology can be done in a useful way, rather than right now where they're sort of blind to that. And 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 the the thoughts, you know, at least that I see coming out of the the political discussions and, and the policymaker discussions right now are are really sort of backwards looking. You know, they're they're looking at the way the world was and how do we how do we structure things in in that way and sort of take away, you know, a lot of the proposals I think that I see coming coming out of out of the EU in particular and now in the US also, you know, are really ones that I think would would limit the ability to do the kinds of things that you want to do. Uh, and so that that sort of concerns me. And so what I like about the technological approach that says like let's make this more convenient, let's make this so that you do have control by na- by the nature of the way the whole setup is, rather than waiting for the policymakers to come in and, and say this is how it has to be done for for everybody else. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, um, there was a lot there. Um, you know, so, sorry. <laughs> so so I mean, I, I I I think I think that the um, look I I. I I, I agree with you that I mean there's elements of the GDPR that I would have I would have changed, um, but I, I also I also want to say that like and, and I and they also made like another really important point there that that really really resonated with me, which is that you know technology should lead regulation and not the other way around. Um, right. We see this I mean particularly as a financial services company, I can tell you that having to you know, deal with modern technologies and modern payment system and modern financial services and fit those, you know, square pegs into the round holes of these sort of relatively ancient regulations is like an, it's like an evergreen problem in our space. And, and we wish that we had more modern regulations that allowed us to take into account like more modern approaches to dealing with everything from money laundering to fraud to risk. So, so I, I, that, that really resonates with me. And I, and I think, Yes, like we're we're building this, you know, as a technology for a solution. We are not expecting or hoping that that government policymakers are going to help us in this endeavor. We <laughs> hope that like, you know, that, that we're going to build solutions that stand on their own and in the free market will ultimately bring 
through the forces of competition, you know, better and, and more uh, like user-friendly solutions that people will gravitate towards and feel good about and, 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 and ultimately um, deliver on the, you know, the, this sort of future science fiction type experience of like, just sort of being able to navigate your digital world in sort of a coherent and, and, and sort of uniform way while still having the advantages of like having new innovative services and being able to take your data. I mean, that, that, that is the vision of web five. Um, and I think the way right. that we sort of try to go about it by really focusing on this idea that like you should own your, your digital identity and you should have the ability to like host your own data and then, and then share that data with different services out there to sort of make use of it um, is, is the way that we're, we're going about it. I, I, I would also just like to say too, like I, I'm, I'm not black and white on these things. Like, I, I mean, I can think there, there are times where, I think, you know, I remember when, you know, Western governments banned incandescent light bulbs years ago, and there was this like big, (laughs) massive sort of like table flipping moment around how CFLs like (laughs) gave people headaches and like we weren't going to be able to deal with like the shitty light temperature that we get from sort of LED bulbs and stuff like that. And like, and it was supposed to be like a big disaster and what really happened was, is because cap- capitalism in the market is so good, it's just essentially optimizes around whatever constraints are in front of it. Basically, there was just an entire revolution in LED lighting. And, and most of us now right. are living in this world of LED lights that use one-tenth the power. Um, you know, you can get them in whatever color you want, and you can, like, hyper-optimize it. And they last for, you know, 15 years before they burn out, and, like, and they're, like... <laughs> And you can buy one now for like two bucks. And so like, I mean, 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 like the reality, like the reality is, is that like sometimes when governments put up artificial obstacles, the market actually vaults forward with better technology and better solutions. And so it's not always the case that when the government basically makes the market's decision for it, that the market, that, that basically we all suffer, right? Like that, that isn't all, I mean, sometimes, sometimes it happens. But like sometimes it right. doesn't, right? And I think so. I'm a bit of like, I I think you have to sort of like contextualize the problem, which is why I tried to like lay out that very long case around like all the equities that we should be thinking about as we move forward in in this in this sort of new frontier. Yeah. No. And I, I, I think I'm I'm in you know pretty close alignment with you um but uh yeah i I mean it's 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 a tricky problem and i'm you know i'm always excited when i see sort of like what i think are are really thoughtful technological approaches to these things and and that's what it appears to to me at least that that you guys are up to um you know and and i'll I'll say like you know i i think we're we're sort of you know up on time, but this conversation went in a very different direction than I expected, but it was a really, really fun conversation. But uh, at some point I might want to have you back. Yeah, there I, a whole bunch I'd of questions love to be back. Actually got I'd, to. Love, I'd love to come back. I'd love to come back and have more time. Yeah. Well, I know it's, it's really, here, here's why like I actually enjoy going down this path because yeah, I, I, I think a lot of the reasons why, you know, people either like, are like I, this, I think there's like a lot of like talking past each other in this, um, yeah. and because we're having these very surface level conversations, and you know we got a bit of an opportunity I think to go a little bit deeper into the sort of more foundational issues that we're sort of like walking back from that I think 
really, I think, hopefully bring into contrast, you know, why say someone like myself has such skepticism of Web3, right? Like, like often when people respond to me, they're like, well, why do you hate decentralization? Or like, why don't you want people to have sort of like ownership and like stakeholder and like, you know, and have stakeholder, um, you know, benefits inside the platforms they use. And it's like, it's not that I don't want those things. It's that like, you know, when I, when we start from this sort of, you know, set basic set of assumptions, try to work ourselves up. Like it, it doesn't seem like we get there. It doesn't seem like that, right. that, that, the, that the basic assumptions of like how I think humans work and how the world works and like, and like, 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 and fundamentally like how the economies of scale model and these systems work. Like it, I, I don't see the outcome that they see. I see, I see them really hanging their hat on these abstract values and trying to build systems that serve those values. But the problem is, is that we don't act in a values first way. So the entire, the entire thing appears to me to be a house of cards. And so hopefully I, I mean, I, I wish we had had more time because I have so much more that I think I could unpack there, but, <laughs> um, but that's like, that's kind of like at least gets it sort of like the core nugget as to like where I think web five and web three, like approach these things fundamentally differently. Yeah. No, and and I think that's that's I think I think that's entirely true. And and I think I almost wonder if like you know, and again, like I'm sure we could go off on a long tangent about this as well, but like, you know, if if it if it really is like people do do approach things in a values-based way, but but what a lot of this is showing is is what their real values are are different than what their stated values are, right? And 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 I think that is a lot of what what we do see in the real world is that people actually value sort of ease and convenience, and and they don't for the most part they may say that they value things like privacy and and ownership or or whatever, but th- that's not that's not what they actually show. Um, you know, I don't think that they they're like actively against those things, but I think if there were a solution that actually were better for them, but also had the convenience that uh, that might actually work. I, I also um, want to, so, I also you know. wanted to state that I don't think this is a conundrum. I think, I think sort of, I think <laughs> behavioral economists have understood this for like a very long time, like <laughs> yes. in terms of like the studies of like time preference, for example. Yep. Um, and we know a lot, I mean, look, if you are a data scientist working at like any of these like Silicon Valley companies uh, that are consumer facing, you know exactly what drives consumer behavior. You spend all day A-B right. testing it. You have like these models. Like <laughs> we know what drives people. It's like very simple. Like I'll, I'll, I'm going to, I'm not going to leave everyone hanging right now. Two things drive consumer behavior. One time preference, like our sense of like mm-hmm. how, how much we're willing to exchange time for money and vice versa. And the other is like, perceived value that we get from right. the month or, you know, you I guess you call it cost preference, cost value, like, you know, like preference. And basically we just all exist on these spectrums. And the reality is, and here's a sad thing. We all have generally short time preference and we all have like <laughs> generally stingy cost preference. And this is like, kind of like the, this is kind of like the average, like, you know, like, you know, state of like humans, it's like if you think about it too much, it can get really depressing. But like, 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 like that's like that, like that's that's like literally just like the reality. That's what we're working. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I think that's absolutely true. Um, 
So this was great. This is honestly, this was really, really great. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we were able to have this discussion. I found it absolutely fascinating. But, but as I said, I really do want want you to come back, yeah, come back at some point. You know, relatively soon, and 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 have you know, and, and to go deeper on some of these subjects as well, and, and to discuss some of the other questions. But um, in, in the meantime, thanks so much for for taking the time. Um, I, I, as I said, like I'm really, really interested in the project. Um, I'm, I'm even more interested now. I think after this call and 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 hearing some of your philosophical views on on how it works, even the ones that I don't necessarily agree with. But you know, I, I think in general, I think. Um, I, I think we have pretty pretty similar views, and so uh, I'm I'm sort of more excited about where you're taking this project and, and where it's going to go. So so thanks so much for taking the time and and having this discussion, and and we'll have to have you back again soon. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening as well. And we'll be back soon with another podcast. Yeah. Huh. To grab a shovel and pick up the tap. Huh. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get.